Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to get into the nitty gritty about how to use the CPS model with kids with anxiety and OCD. So in episode 75, if you did not listen to that episode, I interviewed Ross Green, who is the creator of the CPS model, which is collaborative and proactive solutions. But a lot of you may only know him as the best-selling author of The Explosive Child, which is a very popular book in how to help kids. And it uses the CPS method, but people um, maybe don't realize that. So he's also the author of Lost at School, Lost and Found, and his latest, Raising Human Beings. And he has a website called livesinthebalance.org. So if you're not familiar with his work, this podcast episode is not going to make sense to you. So that's why I'm giving you all of his information. He also has a podcast called Dr. Ross Green. So if you Google him, um, you can find all of his resources or if you're um, on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. You can type in Dr. Ross Green and you'll get all of his stuff there. We are going to have a little bit more of an advanced conversation about it. So I would listen to at least episode 75. And if you have time, even if you just listen to his audiobook, The Explosive Child, he's got an audiobook version, which is really short. I think it's under two hours. That will give you enough information to understand what the heck we're talking about here. So for this episode, I'm going to briefly talk to you just about kind of my journey with the CPS model, and then we're going to get into the nitty gritty about walking you through exactly how to utilize these approaches with kids with anxiety and OCD. So let me talk briefly just about kind of my journey with this, uh, because anyone who listens to my podcast knows that I'm very transparent and I do like to talk to you about my struggles, my aha moments, and just my journey through all this as well. I'm not trying to be perfect. And so it's an ongoing dialogue. So I read The Explosive Child like over 15 years ago. I was working in a treatment center in 2003. No, even farther back than that. 2002, 2001, maybe. I have no idea, but a long, long time ago. And I read the book and it was very helpful. And he came and he talked at the treatment center and that was very helpful. And it was, um, it was something that we utilized in the treatment center program. Okay. So fast forward, whatever, almost 18 years, right? About five years ago, somebody was talking about Ross green and I was like, you know, I don't remember a lot about what the explosive child had in it. I remember it being really good. And I was way into like consuming every audiobook I could find on parenting. I went through this like weird parenting binge. And so I was like, I want to pull up that oldie but goodie. I'm going to go back to Dr. Ross Green and I'm going to get the audio version. I'm going to listen to that. And so I listened to it and I was like, yes, this is really, really good. But I didn't really completely change my parenting style. It definitely helped my therapy style and it helped my parenting style because I added some things to it, but I was still parenting in a very behaviorally oriented way. And And anyone who listens to my podcast or even my online class, how to get your kids to listen, I come from a very behaviorally oriented approach and 
that kind of makes sense because I am a cognitive behavioral therapist. (laughs) So I'm heavily focused on behavioral shaping and A plus B equals C. And we'll get into that a little bit briefly. So I am in my private Facebook group. If you're not in it, it's facebook.com backslash groups backslash AT parenting anxious kids. And a lot of people in there follow Dr. Ross Green's work. And so there's a lot of threads where kids are having problems. The parents are writing about their kids having problems. And a lot of people, a lot of the admins, actually, the moderators in my group often say, you should plan B that, or you should, you know, go to lives in the balance and join the plan B groups and stuff. So I knew of Ross Green and had listened to the audio bit, but I really, you know, it wasn't my world and I wasn't really into that. So because there was so much traction on that, I thought maybe I can get him on my podcast. It'd be great to hear him talk because I remember hearing him talk a while ago and he is so inspiring and he has such a good view on how to connect with kids. And um, even when I listened to his audiobook again, I was very inspired by his approaches. And I think they're so helpful for parents to hear that I was like, let me try to see if I can get him on the show. So I did. And I was super excited about that. And so I was like, you know, for the show, I'm going to listen to his latest audiobook, which is Raising Human Beings, because I am an over-preparer. So whenever I do anything, I completely research everything out of it. So I know what I'm talking about. So I read his, I listened to his audiobook. This one was much meatier. I think it was about eight hours of audio. So a lot of listening. (laughs) And then when I was done with it, I felt like it was very similar to The Explosive Child, but it just went into some really good detail about how to do things in a much more step-by-step sort of way and a lot more examples. So it's definitely a more fleshed out version of his older stuff. So I said to myself, you know what, for the next few weeks, I'm going to try this. So in the past, if you've listened to any of my other podcasts just on behavior and stuff, I am, I am about not disciplining kids in a punitive way. So I am very aligned with him, but I do also have some things that I could, I can imagine that he would cringe about. <laughs> so as I was listening to the audiobook, I was thinking, oh, he would just hate some of the stuff I'm doing at home. And I started to have some CPS guilt because whenever I listen, I don't know how you feel, but whenever I listen to like a a parenting approach. And I like really dive into it. Like I'm listening to hours and hours of somebody talking about that parenting approach. And I want to try it because I'm a very obsessive person. So I'm kind of like an all or nothing. So a couple of days ago, I decided I'm going to be vegetarian. (laughs) And my husband's like, Oh my gosh, because he knows like, I don't, he's like, well, maybe you can have bacon once in a while. I'm like, absolutely not. Because if I'm vegetarian, I can't eat bacon. (laughs) I'm very obsessive. And sometimes that's good. Like this podcast and all my online work, I am just a workaholic in helping, but sometimes it's not good anyway. So when I listen to a new parenting approach and I want to try it, I go all in. And then I start to feel really guilty whenever I'm doing anything that I think is like diverging from the model and the philosophy of the model. So I Typically, we'll try to listen to my kids. I'll try to empathize with my kids. I will try to plan with them. I do all those things already. I did all of the CPS type of stuff already, but I also have a behavioral component to my parenting and it's very effective with my kids. And so I do a three strikes, you're out. And for those normal behaviors, 
that they already know they shouldn't be doing, and there's really nothing deeper going on behind it, they get three strikes. And if they strike out, they lose their iPad or electronic time. And that really works for me in my house. Now, because I have three anxious kids and one kid with OCD, when it's anxiety-based or OCD-based or an ongoing behavior that we're having the same discussion over and over, I will plan B it and I will plan C it depending on what it is. We will collaborate. We will talk. We do a lot of talking at my house. And so my whole point in this, because I don't want to make the whole podcast about my parenting philosophies, but my whole point is do what works for you. There is no cookie cutter method that is a, a one size fits all. So, you know, don't get tripped up because you want to do one thing, but then you do another thing. <laughs> and I'm kind of talking to myself as well because everyone's going to be different. And I guess that's when, whenever I talk to you about anxiety or OCD or pairing in general, I am very forgiving to myself and to you guys because I say, look, you know what? Every household's different. Every kid's different. So if you can take a little bit from this approach and a little bit from that approach and have an effective family, an effective uh, dynamic in your house, and you feel like your kids are getting it and it's a positive thing, then that's awesome and you're doing great. So I have found I love the CPS model. I am incorporating it. And now that it's been highlighted, I'm definitely finding that my patience is better and because I had a refresher of kind of raw screen and I'm finding that I'm talking and explaining and processing and doing a lot more collaborating because it's been focused on, but I'm also doing my three strikes year out. And that is very effective as well. When my kids just refuse to listen and they're just goofing around and they know what they should be doing and it's not something we have to collaborate on. I'll just say one, that's going to be strike one. And then they reset and it's highly effective. So find your style, be okay with your style and be okay with you moving on. Okay. Let's talk about the thing that I really love to talk about, which is how do you take all this and put it into the anxiety and OCD world? And that actually is not nearly as big of a leap as it was for me with my parenting style, because I do feel like the CPS approach and my approach to anxiety and OCD are completely aligned. So I know a lot of you had questions. I know, Laura, you had a lot of questions about how to reconcile these two different approaches and put them together because they can seem very different. And I did talk to him about that. And, and he did say, you know, he doesn't deal with the world of OCD. And so he doesn't really speak on that too much. And, and, and that's kind of what we had talked about in my private Facebook group. I said, you know, OCD is a very unique beast. And so you can't take one thing and try to smush it into everything else because OCD is just not going to fit into it, but it does in a very big way. So let's take an example. I'm going to just go through how to do this with kids with anxiety and OCD. The first step is, and this is going to sound like this isn't CPS related, but it is. You have to educate your kids on what anxiety is or what OCD is, because if they don't understand it, they're not going to understand what you're trying to collaborate about. So they have to be on board. And this is very much in the CPS essence that if your kids are not motivated to work on their issues, we have to start with that. You have to engage and get motivation. And so if you're not at that first step where your child is not motivated, 
That's your number one focus. And you have to go back to that. Everything gets put on pause. I have some kids that work with in my practice and you know, they're not motivated to work on stuff. And so maybe we've been chugging along and they're doing really good. And then all of a sudden we're hitting a wall and I'm not seeing a lot of motivation. I'm seeing a lot of excuses. I'm not seeing a lot of um, initiating of challenges and stuff and a lot of denial that it's their, their anxiety or their OCD. I'll put the brakes on and we're going to go back and we're going to talk about education of what anxiety is, what OCD is, that when you avoid, you feed it. And when you feed it, it grows. And I want them to understand that. I want them to understand what anxiety is, what their anxiety is, what their triggers are, and how OCD and anxiety will get them to believe that it's not anxiety and OCD so that anxiety and OCD can be in cahoots with them, without you or the therapist, and live a snuggly life of avoidance. (laughs) That's how I talk about it. So step one is you have to educate your kids because there will be zero collaboration. There'll be zero buy-in if your kids are not on board with trying to work on it. And I do try to help you with that. So I make a lot of kids YouTube videos for that purpose because some kids won't read books. Some kids won't listen to you, but they may want and be open to watching a kid's YouTube video because YouTube's kind of their language. So I did shift my YouTube channel from parenting videos um, on YouTube to kid videos on YouTube. So I do have a whole bunch of old parenting videos on there, and I do throw up all of my podcast interviews, which the Ross Green interview is up there, and if I do a Facebook Live, I'll throw it up there. But I have two playlists. I have a playlist for kids with OCD, and I have a playlist for kids with anxiety. So if you go on a desktop, you'll see the playlist. I don't know what it'll look like on a phone. And in those playlists, you will find a video on how to explain OCD to kids. And you'll find a video on what is anxiety and how it impacts kids. So those are two really good videos to show your kids. And that is at youtube.com backslash C backslash anxious toddler 78. I'll leave a link below, but I want you to know that. So you can go on there. So once your kids educated, and if they're not, you either want to get a therapist to help you and get them motivated. I think most kids should be in therapy if they have an anxiety disorder And I think every kid with OCD should be in therapy because it is such a debilitating disorder if it's not treated properly. And I don't even care if a kid has mild OCD, they should be in treatment with an OCD specialist and not just somebody. You want an OCD specialist and you can find one at the International OCD Foundation's website at iocdf.org backslash find dash help. So, okay, let's assume they're educated. And if they're not, you got to sit with that for a while. And then you got to maybe talk about, you know, how you can motivate them. This isn't about motivation. I did do a whole episode on that in my podcast in the past. So you can Google that. But that was episode 65. So you can search for it. If you can't find it in iTunes, you can just go to my website at anxioustollers2teens.com. There's a tab at the top and you can hit podcast. And you'll see all my podcasts, or you can just go to the bottom and hit search or go to the search button. And then you can type in motivation and that will pop up or any topic that you're looking for. It will probably be something on my website. So, okay. So let's say you got them educated. Let's move on from there. I want to talk about how you do exposures, ERP, or sometimes what I call challenges. And if you don't know much about what I'm talking about, 
This is a more advanced episode, and it's going to be piggybacking on a lot of stuff I've already talked about in my podcast. And if you've taken my online class, that will be really helpful because these are all things I talk about in my online classes. So my online classes are at anxioustoddlers.teachable.com. And I talk about ERP, which stands for exposure response prevention. And I talk about challenges for anxiety. I'm not going to go into any of that here. We're just talking about how to use the CPS model with these things. If you need some basic information on that, go back to old podcasts, take one of my online classes and you'll have that and then come back and listen to this. So we're going to talk about how to do exposures and challenges through the CPS method, what to do with accommodation, and we're going to talk about what to do with avoidance. All right. So stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. This podcast is brought to you by Easy Kicks. Easy Kicks is a sneaker club for kids, which I'm really excited about because you pay $20 a month and then your child can go on the website and pick out from a great selection of Nikes or Converse. Then they ship it to you for free. Your kid can wear it for as little as long as they want when they get tired of it or it doesn't feel right or it's not cool anymore. Then you just ship it back for free and they can pick out a new pair and on it goes. I think that's genius because I have three kids with three separate problems. My oldest will buy something. I'll spend a fortune on a pair of Nikes. And then a month later, she doesn't think it's cool enough. My second child has a lot of sensory issues. And so he'll like a pair in the store. I will buy it for him. And then three days later, he refuses to wear it because it doesn't feel right. Do you have that at home? My third is growing like a weed. And so she's easy but her feet are not easy because they grow. And so I'll spend, I think, a pretty nice chunk of money on her cute little shoes, only to find that the next month she can't squeeze into them. So Easy Kicks is a great solution. If you haven't heard of it, go check it out because it's brilliant. Easykicks.com. Okay, welcome back. So let's talk about exposures and challenges. For starters, Well, actually, before I do this, I'm going to create just a scenario and we are going to talk about how to incorporate CPS type of methods as we go through this. So let's just do kind of like a case study. So I will create like a common scenario. I'll do one for anxiety and then I'll do one for OCD and then we'll talk about that. Okay, so let's do OCD first and then we'll do anxiety. So let's say you have a kid who has contamination issues. So, and contamination issues can be anything. And so that doesn't tell me a lot about the OCD theme. So let's just go a little bit further into this pretend story. So let's make a very stereotypical case. Um, It's a kid, the kid is 10 and they are afraid of getting sick. And so they're worried about touching things because they don't want to get germs because they're afraid they're going to get sick. Super common OCD theme. Okay. So we'll just do that one. So the first thing after educating them, so you have them watch the OCD video and I'm actually going to make one on germs coming up because that was requested. So once you know that they understand it, you're going to sit with them and you're going to talk to them about doing your challenge ladder. 
So you're going to stay. Let's talk about ways that we can do exposures. Now I'm not, I'm not your therapist and this is not, um, therapy. So you should be doing this with your therapist. This is just to highlight the CPS component of this. And I'm not going to go into how to do these things. I'm going to assume that you already know because we've already covered it. So we're sitting there with our child and we are going to partner with them when you're making the challenge ladder. So the way that you do this and you should be doing, because this is the way that I taught you anyway, is you should be saying to them, let's come up with different situations where we, let's call the OCD, Mr. Bossy for this example. So then you would say, let's talk about ways that we can poke back at Mr. Bossy. And so if you've taken my online class, we talk about levels and video games, um, as an analogy. And so I talk about level five, the highest level. If you've taken my OCD online class, talk about level five being the highest, most powerful level to beat OCD. So you would say to your kid, if they, if you're using my online class language, if not use your own language or your therapist's language, but I'll say, let's talk about how we can poke back at Mr. Bossy. So we're going to come up with level five challenges. So let's just talk about things that we could do that would upset Mr. Bossy. And then we're going to rank them one to 10. And then you don't have to do the, I always say this part too, because kids get nervous. I'll say, you don't have to do any of these things. We're just coming up with ideas, right? So we're just brainstorming. Brainstorming means we're just throwing out ideas and we're going to see which ones you're going to be willing to do afterwards. You want to say that because you want them to throw out lots of stuff and you want to throw out things without seeing them go pale and freak out. (laughs) So then you might say, um, what number would be touching a doorknob? You know, Oh, that would be like a five. What number would be touching a toilet seat? Oh, that would be a 10 plus. What number would it be to touch a light switch? I'm just giving a very, very general example. So then you say to your kids, okay, which one out of this list do you want to start with? So you are, you are planning with them and you are passenger. How many times have I said this too? You are a passenger and they are the driver. This is their journey, not yours. You're a coach, right? And even as a therapist, I have the same mentality. I'm not driving. I'm a coach. And so the parent and I are both equal in the sense that we're both coaches. We are like (laughs) co-coaches. Can you be a co-coach? I guess so. I don't, I don't do sports. Your co-coaches, you're equal because I'm going to help the parent. So I'm kind of like the coach of the coach, but you are the main coach. You're home. You're, you're with your kid 24 seven, but they are the ones that get to choose. So if they say none of them, then guess what? They're not ready to work on it. Now I did talk to Ross Green about incentives because that was another question that some of you had was, you know, he talks about no rewards and consequences. He is not reward and punishment based. And I respect that. I get that. I get where he's coming from. But when it comes to ERP, incentives are huge. And so I talked to him about that. And I said, you know, that is something that really helps motivate kids. And he went through and explained how that would be okay, especially if the child is not becoming dependent on the incentive. And they aren't in ERP because you're behaviorally shaping them and you just need some extra encouragement for them to, to step off that cliff and be willing to test out the waters and see, are there really sharks in the water or is OCD lying to me? And it's just a bunch of goldfish. That's the analogy I use in my office, right? We want them to, to get off the cliff. Once they get off the cliff, they realize, okay, that wasn't really scary. OCD was lying to me on to the next exposure. That's how ERP works. 
So incentives are a key component and I think they're perfectly okay. And if used correctly, even Ross Green thinks they're okay. So there you go. So then you're going to go through your challenges with your child and, and your child is going to pick them as you go. Now you can encourage because I will have kids that will lowball it and they'll pick something that's super easy. Um, and maybe I'll let them do that for the first few times just to get, you know, the juices flowing. But then I'll say, you know what? I wonder if you could do something a little bit higher. And they might say, oh, I don't know. And I'll say, I know that's really scary for you. So what if I make it fun? Let's just make it fun. What if you can earn this gift card if you can do this exposure? Or what if in my house with my kids, I have treasure boxes and they are pure exposure based. So once a day, my kids, if they want to do an exposure, they can get something from the treasure box. Guess what? My kids ask me to do exposures. And then I don't say, okay, you can have, you can have this prize if you do this. No. Again, I partner with them. I put them in the driver's seat and I say, what would you like your challenge to be? We're at a point in my house where we don't do a hierarchy. We do them ad hoc. And so I like it a little bit more natural, especially depending on what the theme is. And so with my son, it's eating. And so it's just like, what do you want to do with food that you think will be a challenge? And he finds something. And then I say, sounds great to me. And then he goes and he does it. He's on autopilot. So moving from there, Let's talk about the same kid, but we're talking about accommodation. So that was another question I got about the CPS model. You know, do you plan see everything? And Ross Green did explain that, no, you shouldn't be planned seeing everything. And I agree as well. And so what I typically tell parents to do is if you are a big part of the OCD loop, I call you guys the sink, right? So if you have a kid who's asking for constant reassurance, that's a really common behavior, compulsive behavior with OCD. So if I have moral OCD, I think, oh my gosh, you know, I think I just called my parents a bad name in my head. And so then I say, I love you. And then you have to say, I love you too. But if you don't, then I'm going to freak out. Or maybe I like just touched you and I think, oh, maybe I hit you. And so I'm sorry. And then I need you to accept my apology. That's moral OCD behavior, right? So do you just stop cold turkey, you know, and that's really not plan being with your kid or do you plan C it and you just do what your kid needs or do you plan A it and you just tell them I'm not doing this anymore and you're going to have to deal with it. So I have always had the approach that you can make a list of all the things that involve you. In fact, that's one of the things I often have parents do in my practice is I send them home with homework and I say, Make a list of all the things that you do that are part of the compulsion. And in my online class, I do that too. I say, because everything I do in my practice, I do in my online class. You know, it's very similar. And so I'll say to you in my online class, make a list of what, what things you're involved in with your child's compulsions. And then you plan be it with your kid. And you say, these are all the things that I'm doing to help Mr. Bossy grow. So let's pick one that I'm not going to, that you're okay with me not doing anymore. So I can help you. If your child is not ready for that, then we have to go back to motivation because we want to always motivate them. I motivate with reinforcers. So I might say, I know that's going to be really hard for you this week. So how about we practice this week? And if you can go with whatever range you're going to give, then you can earn blah, blah, blah. In my practice, I have like little tickets 
you know, kind of like little fare tickets and stuff. And I will give parents tickets and they can use that in a behavior modification sort of way. And so, you know, if you can go all day without um, me having to wipe down the doorknobs for you, let's, let's take this kid, for example, we're making up this case study. So let's say as part of the accommodation, I go and I wipe out, he wants me to wipe all the doorknobs every day so that he can function in the house. And we pick that one as the one that I'm not going to do. Then I might say to him, if you can handle me not wiping all the doorknobs, and I don't control you, but this is something that I wouldn't do because the first step in OCD is pulling yourself out of the compulsions. And then we work on your child, but you still partner with your child as you're pulling away. And so then I might say something like, how about if we can go seven days without me wiping the doorknobs for you, then you'll get tickets each day and then you can earn a prize. Or, you know, for some kids who have like severe acute OCD, they might have to earn something every single day initially to get the courage to do it. Now, if they say, I still don't want to do it. I don't want, I don't want to do this at all. I don't want to talk about this at all. Guess what you have to do? You have to go back to the first step of motivation and education. You might sit there for a long time. This is your kid's journey. So then you need to have the therapist work on that with you because, and if they're not willing to go to the therapist, then you have to work on that step. And that can be really tough. So moving on from there, then we have avoidance. And so a lot of times kids will refuse to do something. So let's say, um, taking this kid again, we didn't name him. So it makes it hard to talk about him, but we're talking about our 10 year old. He doesn't want to take the trash out because it triggers his OCD. So you talk about that in a plan B sort of way. And you might say, look, I know Mr. Bossy makes it really hard for you to take the trash out. And so you can either plan C that and say, you don't have to take the trash out if you're not ready for that to be one of your challenges or one of your exposures. We could, one, incorporate that as one of your challenges per day and you can earn an incentive, like a prize for doing it. Or if that's too big, I don't want to fight with you about taking the trash out because I'm actually fighting with Mr. Bossy. And I'm not fighting with you because you are lazy or because you're being difficult or because you just don't want to pitch in. I'm fighting with Mr. Bossy because you're afraid of the germs. And so that's not fair to you. So I might plan see that and I might say, you know what? You don't have to take the trash out. That's a terrible chore for someone who has a Mr. Bossy about germs. So what could you do to pitch in that doesn't upset Mr. Bossy? And then you let your child decide. And so that's a way to use plan B and plan C is like, I'm not going to say you're being difficult and force you to do something. I'm going to figure out what the problem is. And we're going to come up with a solution because I want you to pitch in and your OCD is being triggered by the thing that you need to do to pitch in. We can change that. And we might permanently plan see that we might come back to that and use that as an exposure in the future. It will be something that we will discuss together. So that's OCD. Now let's take anxiety and then you'll, you know, this should be solidified. So let's do a case example where I am a kid who is afraid of throwing up. I'm at a phobia, did a whole podcast on that. Very, very common. One of the top three most common themes of anxiety. So let's walk through that. Let's do a 10 year old again. We'll call her Susie because we didn't name the other one and it made it hard to talk about. (laughs) So with Susie, we are once again, we're going to educate her. We are going to make sure that she understands what anxiety is. I actually have a whole YouTube video on emetophobia and I think I, I don't call it emetophobia. I think I call it like when anxiety makes you afraid you're going to throw up. So, and actually it's 
for most people, it's the anxiety about throwing up and then you feel anxious and you feel nauseous. And so it's this vicious cycle. So let's talk about how you would do a CPS type model with that. So you educate your kid, you motivate your kid. Now my, my video motivates them. And I say, look, you really need to work on this because it will just grow. The more you avoid, the more it will grow. Now, a lot of times, okay, I'm going to get on a soapbox and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but I feel like I have to say this. A lot of times I'll see comments, especially in my private Facebook group, because I try to read a lot of them where we, we accidentally accommodate our kids. And so if they have a fear of throwing up, we don't want to, the solution is not, you know, take Zofran, which is an anti-nausea medication, carry water, carry antibacterial wipes, and make sure to stay away from people when they're sick. No, (laughs) if you listen to me, you would know that 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 is like terrible advice because those are all crutches. Those are all accommodations and, and the anxiety will continue to grow and it will find new places that you need to avoid and new people you need to avoid because you're not walking through your anxiety. You're walking around it. If you walk around your anxiety, your anxiety is going to follow you. If you walk through it, you're done with it and you're going to have your anxiety get smaller and smaller and more manageable over time. So you educate your child, and then you're going to do very similar to what we did with the other kid. You're going to make challenges and you're going to say, let's talk about things that we can do to poke at. Let's see. What should we call this one? Let's call it Bob because I have a lot of people who call their anxiety Bob, which I kind of think is funny. I just like having like these like weird man names for anxiety. (laughs) So let's call it Bob. So Susie's got Bob. She understands that Bob tries to make her sick. She's watched my videos. And so you say, we need to poke at Bob. So we're going to make a challenge and we're going to see what you can do. And so then you do the same thing that you did with the boy. You say, look, we're not going to do any of these things. We're just talking about ways that we can poke at Bob. And she totally understands that she has to lean into her anxiety. So you're partnering with her again. And then you do the exact same thing. Um, some of the challenges might be things like, uh, touch something that they think might be, that might get them sick or look at a picture of vomit, look at a video of vomit. What we're doing is we're, we're slowly desensitizing them and exposing them to the concept and idea of vomit. It might be even just talking about vomit. When I get into bigger challenges, I might actually even take kids to like a doctor's office and have them sit there and and tell them that they're around a bunch of germs or I'll take them to like a, a little ER or uh, like a, like Walgreens and CVS have the, the, these walk-in clinics. And those are actually pretty easy to use exposures for, but I'm not going to get into that kind of approach right now. I'm just talking about picking something on their challenge list and then having them do it. And they might want to start small and that's okay. It might just be saying the word throw up. It might be just saying the word vomit. And you might sit with that for a while. It may not be doing any of that. It may be just talking about it because they don't, they can't do anything else. So once you decide what kind of challenges you're going to do, we want to also talk about accommodation. So you might say, Hey, this is a whole list of things that I do to accommodate. So you have me wipe down the tables before I can feed you, or I have to wash my hands before I'm allowed to touch your plate or I have to make sure that you don't have a fever each night. So you're constantly saying, mom, am I sick? Can you check my head? These are, these are all the things that I do to help Bob. So let's pick one of these things that I can slowly not do because I don't want to help Bob because when I help Bob, 
then you get sicker and your anxiety grows bigger. So it's very, very similar. I just wanted to use an anxiety example so you can see this. Same thing with avoidance. Here's a whole list of things that Bob makes you avoid. You avoid going to school. You avoid going to restaurants. You avoid going to that one place where you once saw that person throw up. You avoid whatever it could be. If it moves into the OCD world, it could be you avoid wearing that shirt that you, that you were wearing that one time when you got anxious, whatever it is they avoid. And then you say, let's take one thing at a time and see if we can not avoid it so that you beat Bob. So now you might plan see some things that your kid avoids. And so maybe let's say you have a very, very, um, anxious kid, acute anxiety, and they are doing some school refusal. And let's say you're homeschooling. And so your plan seeing going to school, then you might talk about other things they avoid and you slowly start working on that list. You know, we're, we're plan seeing school right now, but I noticed that you're also now not wanting to go to restaurants. And by the way, getting back on my soapbox just for a second, I'm not against homeschooling. I think that's fine, especially if you have a philosophical opinion about homeschooling. Um, That's not a problem. But when you homeschool because of anxiety, you do have to be careful. It is a slippery slope. And I think it's okay for some people because, you know, if they can make sure that it doesn't go beyond homeschooling, then as long as you're very aware of that and it works for your family, I am not here to judge. But I do caution people because it is a slippery slope very quickly. So a lot of kids with emetophobia, they will want to do some school refusal. School refusal happens mainly, like the big bulk of school refusal is through emetophobia and because of separation anxiety. Like those are the two biggest uh, issues that tend to cause school refusal. Obviously, there's tons more, but those are the two biggest ones. And so when you do school refusal because you're afraid of throwing up. And so you school's not the problem, right? And I have a whole podcast on this, but school is not the problem. It's just being out in public, being around other kids with germs. So you take that element away. Bob, <laughs> our little anxiety guy, he's not going to be satiated. And so he's going to, to look for more things to have your kid avoid. And I have seen kids slowly become agoraphobic and not be able to leave the house at all because Bob is greedy. And once he gets school off, his list, he's on to the next thing. And so sometimes you do have to plan C school because it's just not productive. Your kid's not functioning. They're refusing to get in the car. They're too old. You can't physically force them. They're getting sick. There are times where it's just not worth the battle because they don't have the skills yet. They need to get stronger. Maybe they need to go on medication, all sorts of things that have to happen before you can get them back into the school environment. Now you might say, you know what? The school environment is just overall too stressful for my kid. And I totally respect that. You just have to be careful because anxiety is greedy. And so once it gets school off, it's going to look for other things. So you might plan see school or you might plan see um, an activity. You might plan see swim class because your kid's just having a meltdown. But you're going to come back to that. You're going to circle around and you're either going to come back to that or you might permanently plan see school, but you are not going to plan see everything. You're going to plan B other things. I'm noticing that you are not going to restaurants. I would like for you to feel like you can go out to eat. That's something that we all enjoy doing. So how can we make that happen? And then you talk to your kids. You know, what's the worst part about going out to eat? Well, I'm worried I'm going to throw up. I don't want to smell all that stuff. Okay. How about, you know, let's talk about different things that we can do 
that are baby steps, right? So we can get food to take out. You can just walk into the restaurant with me and we can take it out. Or how about we sit there and we just get a drink and we just do it for five minutes. Whatever it is, you can get kids to do small incremental steps of anything if they're slightly motivated. And I do feel like the biggest motivation is external. Now, the thing is, it does become internal because as kids start to do these exposures and they start to move away from avoidance and you stop accommodating over time, like an onion, they get empowered. I have never seen a kid not get empowered when they consistently do exposures. They will say to me, I thought it was going to be so hard, but I'm not, I'm not worried about that anymore. Or I'm feeling so good. I can do this, this, and this now. And it used to take me forever to do it. So then the, the, the reward is not really that tangible thing that they wanted to get. It's the freedom that they get because they don't have to be anxious or have OCD thoughts around that thing anymore. But kids aren't going to realize that in the moment. And so they do need those incentives to kind of get them off the cliff. Okay. I talked very fast and I talked about a lot of information. <laughs> I hope that helped you. I hope that helped some, I hope that gave you some clarification on how to incorporate these two things. And um, if you have questions, you can put them in my private Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash AT Parenting Anxious Kids. And there are a zillion parents who would be happy to help you. And I pop in there. And if I see a question and you tag me, I will answer it as well. I do also have an announcement for my private Facebook group. So I was um, talking about the super sensory bundle all last week. And because I was trying to get the information out, I went and I did a couple of Facebook lives. And if anyone listens to me, they know that I have had social anxiety and worked really hard on it. So hard that I actually made a social anxiety class for adults and kids who are 10 and older on how to beat their own social anxiety because it was really such a big struggle for me. And then when I went through it and came out the other side, I literally feel like a new person. I feel like I'm not at all who I was before. In fact, total side note, but, um, I was giving people my class, um, child therapist secrets to listening if they got the bundle. And so I went back after I talked to Ross Green, I went back and looked at my class because I thought, oh my gosh, this is so not CPS. This is so behavioral. So I had kind of a freak out moment where I thought, I can't have this class out there. (laughs) And then I looked at it and I was like, you know, Natasha, you believe in all these things still. I mean, so you, it's okay. (laughs) There was a little panic there for a minute. I actually deleted one lesson and then I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? (laughs) I had to put the lesson back. So there was like an hour where there was a lesson that was missing (laughs) because I thought, oh, this isn't philosophically aligned to CPS. But honestly, I feel like CPS has its place and I feel like my behavioral approaches do have their place too. So I think they're both okay. But my point is I went and I was watching these videos and I made them like two years ago. And it's so weird to even watch me two years ago because I don't seem animated as much. I don't seem as loud and relaxed in my videos. I seem very kind of quiet and professional. And it's so weird because I don't, that change from me now on the podcast, my YouTube videos to then is purely because I got rid of my social anxiety. Like I just blossomed and I don't care what people think. And so I'm, I'm much more organically me. I almost feel like a different me. But my point is that on my um, 
exposure ladder for social anxiety, the number one top 10 was Facebook lives. (laughs) It was so high that I was pretty okay with just never doing that one. (laughs) I was like, I, you know, I, I climbed up really high. I even like went out of town and went to a conference that made me uncomfortable by myself purely to cross that off of my exposure list. And Facebook live was higher than that. And I was like, eh, you know what? It's okay. I don't have to do that. And I did it three times last week. And then I was like, this isn't that bad because that's what exposure does. It makes you realize it's not that bad. So the incentive was I really wanted to get out the message for this bundle. You know, that was my carrot. But the real reward after the fact was that they weren't that bad. And in fact, I was like, I really liked the ability to communicate with you guys directly. It was cool. It felt good. So I decided, it's a very long-winded introduction to this, but I decided that I'm going to start doing Facebook Lives. We're going to see how it goes. I'm going to do it on the fourth Wednesday of each month. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on the group on Monday and I'm going to say this is these are some topics or maybe I'll pick the topic. So I think I'll say this is the topic this week and then I will say what questions do you have based on this topic and it'll be a Q&A. So I will print out all your questions, I'll go on Facebook Live and I'll answer your questions. And that way we have some direct communication and I'm helping you in a more direct way. So, and, and I'll also pull the group for different themes to make sure that I'm talking about things that you guys are interested in. I do think that I might be talking about social anxiety first, but I'm not sure yet, but I know that my first Facebook live will be on July 25th. That is my plan as of now. So you can, um, go and join my private Facebook group. And that way you don't miss those Facebook lives because it will only be in my group. I am not going to be sharing it anywhere else because I'm going to be answering your direct questions and you know, your participation in my group is completely private and only people in the group can see your name or the questions that you're posting in there. So I'm going to respect the privacy and and just keep it in there. If you're enjoying my podcast, please don't forget to show your appreciation by giving it a star in iTunes or writing a comment wherever you are consuming your podcast. That is always appreciated. Well, until next Tuesday, I hope you find a sparkle in everything you do, and I'll talk to you later. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.